you would take your Bibles, please, turn with me to Romans 12. We're moving forward in our spiritual gifts study. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a gift. You may not know what it is, and that's okay. That's why you're here. You may not be comfortable with it. That's okay. That's also why you're here. You may not like the gift that you have. Whenever you go through some of those questions and you fill out this little uh, inventory sheet here, man, really wish I had that gift. It's okay. You don't. And that's just the truth of it. And why is that? Because the Holy Spirit knows you and me better than we know ourselves. It's not like God is out to give us less joy. He's not. Just the things that are to be found joyful in are not the things of this world. It's not anything this world offers. It's not any scheme they've devised. It's not even any bargain that you're going to get before the day's up. Where true joy is found is when you recognize I am able to supernaturally serve my Creator because of a gracious position I've been jettisoned into because of nothing I've done except sinned against the Holy God. That's why I like to capitalize the word grace. All caps. Screaming at you. G-R-A-C-E. Why? Because I find everything that I can do that would give any sort of praise to God is all because He's made it possible. That's a gracious relationship. That's a good place to be. If you have your little inventory sheet here, you've probably paid attention to where you've scored high, and you're waiting. When are we going to get to mine? When are we going to get to mine? It's coming. But what I'm going to ask you to do, if we could pull that up, PJ. This little sheet right here, you're going to have probably labeled here A, B, C, D, F, G, all the way down. And underneath the G category, I want to have you write out on that line next to it, giving. Giving. B is what? What do you have? Exhortation. C is teaching. But you're also going to have giving. So if you wouldn't mind, take a moment, write that in. If you're saying, where in the world do I get sheets like this? We have them located right there, right next to the door, sitting on that little shelf, that little rack, whatever that rolly thing is back there. We have it. If we run out for some reason, come to me afterwards so I can get more in your hands. And if you need help walking through exactly how do I do this, let me know so we can get you up to speed with everybody. Today we're going to talk about giving. But look at Romans 12. We are going to start here in verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ, being different is okay in the body of Christ. Nothing wrong with it. According to the grace given to us, it's the distribution of God's grace that makes us different. Therefore, it's got a divine seal of approval on being different. That's okay. We don't all have to have the same gift. It says here, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy or if speaking, if you have a speaking gift, according to the proportion of his faith. And if service or ministry, if you have a ministry or serving gift in your serving. Or he who teaches, that's one of the speaking and prophecy gifts, in his teaching. 
or he who exhorts, he who encourages in his exhortation. Those are speaking gifts. Then he moves into what we're going to look at today. He who gives with liberality. This is an example of a serving gift that Paul wants to put forward. In serving, or in giving with liberality, forgive me. If I do anything wrong today, it's COVID brain. I'm playing the victim, okay? The gift of giving. Sometimes this puts people on edge when we talk about giving and money. I hate talking about money. I really do. I appreciate what the Bible has to say about it, of course. But getting into subjects like that always become about money and not about what God has said. Some of us in the body of Christ have this gift, this gift to give. And so my hope today is, is whether you need affirmation about your gift, as we're going to look at all of these, whether you need affirmation about it, well, I think so, or I scored high in this. Again, remember, this isn't foolproof, it's just a help. Or if it's a situation where we say, I don't know. Maybe today something's going to resonate with you. The Holy Spirit will minister to your heart to help you recognize whether or not you have the spiritual gift of giving. Let's start with some definitions here. Bringing up the first definition for this word that's used for giving. The gift of giving. Metadidomai is the Greek word. It means to give, of course, to give a part of something, or to impart to someone, or to also share something. At the beginning of Romans, a good way to use as example that's not necessarily money-oriented is the idea that Paul said that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. In other words, he says very beginning right off the bat, when I come and get to minister with you, I've got certain gifts that I want to share with you because I know that's just going to build you up. And as I build you up, you're going to exercise your gifts and that's going to encourage me and build me up. That's the way the body of Christ works. If we wonder where the encouragement, the building up, that on cloud nine, that living on the highest plane, that walking in the Spirit happens, it happens as the body of Christ each exercises their different gifts together, encouraging and edifying one another in word-centered ministries. That's how it happens. So now, I also wanted to define for you this next word as well, because in our text it says, he who gives with liberality. And we need to know this because we're going to see it pop up again as we're looking at giving. Liberality. Hapalotes, I think is how you say it. If not, whatever. Simplicity. It means sincerity. It means uprightness. It means frankness. There's an honesty, a bare-bones honesty that characterizes it. One way that it's been summarized is without strings attached. There's no hidden agendas behind the scene. You ever had somebody do something nice for you and you're like, okay, what do you want? You know? Like, oh, honey, you look so beautiful today. Man, she picks up that frying pan. She knows. What do you want? What are you after today? Kind of thing, right? I just type everybody. Don't get mad at that. Don't be woke about that. Anyway, moving forward. Liberality means generosity that is free from any self-serving motive. Think of it this way. We often talk about agape love, right? Agape love is different from phileo love. Phileo love is a brotherly type of love that is exercised in the body of Christ. But when we talk about agape, we're talking about 
an unconditioned love that is exercised towards a person, but it doesn't respect anything in return. It's just pushing forward a love. Let's be honest, agape love is a divine love because at some point we all want to pay off somewhere for what we've done. We all serve self somewhere. And we need to be aware of that failure of sin in us. Well, just as agape love is a loving forward, and I don't need anything back, just because of what Christ has done, and I'm so thankful for that, I want to pour that over onto you. It's the same idea with giving here. I'm not looking to get anything in return. I'm not scratching your back so you can turn around and scratch my back kind of thing. It's just the fact that you're giving for the sake of giving because it's all in light of what Christ has done. And it has to be. Otherwise, those self-serving motives creep in. How do you know if you're exercising this spiritual gift either in the flesh or in the spirit? Because if you're anticipating a return for the giving that has been laid upon your heart, you're walking according to the flesh. That's a, that's a situation that needs to be recognized and repented of because far less fruit comes out of that, if any, at all. We want to be operating it spiritually speaking. Rodmacher has given us some quotes here. If you look in your handout real quick, you're going to have two white sheets today because of how different everything was last week. You're going to have the sheet from last week about exhortation, so you're going to have that one in there. But I've also got for you today the spiritual gift of giving. And and the reason why we separated these and didn't just give them all to you at one time is because I don't want you being distracted by others and trying to figure out why I scored high here, but we haven't covered it yet, and so I'm trying to figure it all out. Don't worry about all that stuff right now. Just focus in on the ones that we're paying attention to. Here's the reason why. A lot of times I've found that those who don't have the gift that we're talking about are more easily able to recognize that gift in others in the body of Christ. Sometimes that person, oh, I just, just guess God didn't give me a spiritual gift. Number one, no, that's not true from everything we've seen so far. But number two, when somebody else is able to come up and say, wow, you really have the spiritual gift of giving. That's an excellent thing. When God is using the body of Christ to help you pinpoint down, to nail it down, what sometimes seems elusive to us, that's important. So, all the studies that Rodmacher put together for this one about giving. God-given ability to make and to give things most liberally and beyond all human expectation. It's got to be supernatural if that's the case, right? Whatever the expectation was, it far exceeds and goes beyond much more than what, it, in other words, it's surprising. It's surprising, and that's usually what supernatural things do. What make up the characteristics of a person like this? And real quick, forgive me, if you notice on this paper, uh, go back real quick, PJ, go back to the previous one. If you notice on this paper in parentheses, 1 Corinthians 13, 2, everybody see that? Notice on the board, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. I already had these printed up before I was able to check it and change it. I'm sorry for that. So if you just mark out two and put in three, the word of God works together perfectly. No more problems, right? There we go. What are these people like? What kind of, what kind of characteristics do they hold? Well, number one, they dislike emotional appeals. They don't like it when people are trying to pull their heartstrings for giving. They just want facts. Tell me what you need and tell me how I can help. I'm here. This is what God has propositioned me to do. Now, here's what's interesting about that, because I want you to think through what's not up there. There takes a real solid degree 
of spiritual maturity to be able to respond to a giving need like that. To want to assess it more plainly rather than being caught up and get swayed to and fro by what people may be bringing up. That's a very important characteristic. The ability to invest wisely. In other words, because it's spirit-led, it's generating a track record of truth, and that track record is going to show itself by consistent, wise investments. Achieve long-range goals. They're able to stick it out for the long haul. Use their resources to get the most out of them. Now, this is important because we're going to see this from the text. It may be that they don't have a lot of resources. That doesn't dictate whether or not someone has the spiritual gift of giving. What does dictate it is if they are able to use what they've been given and stretch it to a point to that benefit supernaturally. Everybody with me? Okay, just making sure. You guys are kind of looking at me like I've got problems. And I know that's true, but stop it. (laughs) How about work to aid those needy people who are worthy of assistance? In other words, they're able to see they're able to see through a story. Whenever we have that person knock on the door, well, I just need a hotel room for a couple of nights. I get paid on Thursday, I'll be able to pay you back. For those of you who aren't wise to that, let me go ahead and tell you, they will never pay you back. It never happens. It never works that way. How about the next one? You can go down your list, but I'm using the screen. Determines merits of a project before investing and gets others to invest. If they understand that they're spirit-led and something that they've investigated, why would they not want others with a similar gift to step on board and receive the same benefits that are going to come out of such an investment? See, this is what's interesting. The people with the spiritual gift of giving understands that regardless of what they give, it's not so much about the dollar amount they're trying to put on it, or the resources that they're pouring into it. It's the fact that they understand that God is standing on the other side of it, willing to pour forward incredible blessing because of initial obedience. They see the end in mind on the other side of what is unseen. That is a difference maker. They dislike waste. They don't want anything to go to waste. They want to use it all, and they want to use it well. They also make decisions quickly, but they hold back when uncertain. If they smell... There's a dead fish in the water somewhere. They're going to put hands off the project and step away for a minute. They're going to watch it pan out, or they're going to put resources somewhere else. There's a guy named William McRae who wrote a a book on spiritual gifts. A beautiful quote that I thought summed this up really well for us to look at, and then we'll dive into the Scriptures. He says, A believer with the gift of giving has the capacity to give of his substance to the work of the Lord or to the people of God consistently, liberally, sacrificially, and with such wisdom and cheerfulness that others are encouraged and blessed. Do you think that the church, the body of Christ, needs the exercise of the spiritual gift of giving? I'm not just talking about a dollar and cents thing. I'm not just talking about where we are as far as margin is concerned, or where we are as far as as whether we're in the red or the black. That's not what I'm talking about there. I'm talking about the idea of the reciprocal grace, the manifold grace of God that happens as a ripple effect throughout the body when this and the other spiritual gifts are exercised. It's an important point. Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Acts chapter 9. And I want to give you a a little test case here. 
I don't want to repeat Acts 4 from last week, but you can look at it. When we took a look at Barnabas there, we noticed that it was a situation where people were selling property and bringing the proceeds and setting them before the feet of the apostles. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody is willing to part with real estate and give it to the church, that must be a spirit-led endeavor, okay? Because people are stingy. Uh, so in doing that, you know it's a God-led thing. That's one example of how the early church in Jerusalem was participating in this voluntary giving project. This is a very interesting lady. Her name is Dorcas, but her, her name is also Tabitha. And it's not this Tabitha here. This woman is much, much older. So, verse 9, look at verse 36. Now in Joppa... There was a disciple, she's already a believer in Christ, she's following the Lord, named Tabitha, who translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding, so automatically think of overflowing, you know, I'm doing popcorn for trunk or treat today, so I'm thinking of when the popcorn starts pouring over that thing. Yeah, good, I like popcorn. Was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Now here's what's interesting. If you have the gift of giving, do it with liberality. If that is your gift, be all in invested in it. She is a model of this. Now notice we're not told whether it was money, whether it was resources, whether it was land. We're not told what it was that she was giving. But what it does is tells us about her giving. She was abounding with deeds of kindness. Kindness is an attitude word, right? Notice she's got the right spiritual attitude towards the body of Christ. And charity, which she continually did. In other words, because it was her spiritual gift, it was just her way of life. That's the way she lived it. How about this? Look over at Philippians 1. And I want to show you some things in Philippians 1 because it prepares us for what we're going to see in Philippians 4. Philippians 1. We'll start in verse 3. I just want you to take note of a couple of things that Paul says here in passing. Very important. Look at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Man, Paul had an on-fire prayer life, but what is he talking about here? Here's what it is. In view of your, mark this, participation in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, whenever Paul came in and he shared the gospel with them and he led them to faith in Christ and they became believers in Christ, they immediately want to start participating in the work of spreading the good news. We call this missions today. We call this evangelism is what we're dealing with. Everybody see the word participation? If you got the New American Standard 95 version, look over in your margin. What word do you see? What do you see? Everybody see, or sharing in the preaching of the gospel. This is that Greek word koinonia, fellowship. They wanted fellowship, intimacy, to be tethered in tightly. If you're going to share the gospel, we want to be in on it. We want to be there. We want to be helping. We're going to be handing out, we've got 200 tracts to hand out to kids tonight that unfold into the gospel and fold out into a little cross. The ladies' Bible study on Tuesday folded all of those tracks. They were fellowshipping, tethered in, participating with 
what will become the spreading of the gospel to people. They were sharing in, they were giving of themselves to invest because they understand the great dividends that lie on the other side of this. Notice it says, verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, he's going to bring it to completion. For, verse 7, it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers. Now, that's a derivative of the koinonia word. You are partakers, fellow partners of grace with me. In other words, you desire desperately to be instrumental in the spreading of the gospel. Notice all of it right now is dealing with attitude and their participation. Now, with that in mind, we turn over, we fast forward, get in our DeLorean and move forward to Philippians 4. And we're going to see here in verse 15, the end of the book, because the same participation type language is taking place. Chapter 4, look at verse 15. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, now stop, does that immediately connect your mind with what we saw in chapter 1, right? From the first day of the gospel, you wanted to participate. You wanted to fellowship in the spreading or the propagation of the gospel. He says here, at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, now real quick, we're going to talk about this a little bit. Macedonia is just north of Athens, so think northern Greece section. Thessalonica was located there. Philippi was located there. Also Berea, the Bereans, they studied the scriptures to see if these things were so. They're located up there. So those would be the churches that he's talking about. After I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. What a bunch of jerks. See, some of you don't even know what I read, so. Think about what he says here. After I left Macedonia, No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, of giving funds and support and receiving the blessing that came with that, but you alone. When Paul started out his missionary journey, only Philippi wanted to help. Nobody else wanted to be involved. You know what it probably sounded like? Well, brother, we'll pray about that. That's using prayer as a substitute for obedience. God's not pleased in that. Not at all. Well, we just don't have clarity and discernment about whether or not we should help you spread about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're just not sure on that yet. Does that set well with you? What were these churches doing? You know what's sad about this? The church in Thessalonica was actually characterized as a rich church. They actually had a ton of resources going on. They actually had really good giving records. But for some reason, they couldn't spare to help a tent maker who was willing to travel anywhere the Lord led him in order to tell anybody that would possibly listen about Jesus Christ. Only Philippi stepped up to the plate. He says here, verse 16, For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Can you imagine what that was like? There's Paul in Thessalonica trying to start a church. In order for him to do that, 
He's got to go where people are. He usually started in a synagogue. He would talk to the Jews. Some would believe, some wouldn't believe. Some people hated him. Some people liked him. Some people wanted to kill him. He would step out of that. He would turn, and he would go to the pagan Gentiles. And he would say, you guys have no history of the Creator God whatsoever like the Jews do, so we're going to start from the beginning, and I'm going to bring it all the way to the fact of why you need Jesus Christ because you're guilty of sin and destined for the lake of fire. Let's talk about this. And he would start a small group. And those people who believed, he would instruct them, teach them. Sometime is known six to eight hours a day. <laughs> you guys got it so easy. I'm so tired of long sermon jokes. Anyway. But that's what you see. Long form instruction for people so that when he left, they would have plenty of material to go back over and refresh and renew themselves because they weren't thinking about that way previously. Not at all. This is a big deal what it is to plant a church. Planting a church is hard. It's difficult. And imagine, he's sitting there in the city with resources. Imagine you're standing in Las Vegas. And you're here to plant a church. And all you see is glitz and glamour and lights. And you can even hear, right? All the money pouring out of those machines. We got another winner here. And can you imagine Paul like reaching in his pockets going, I don't know how I'm going to eat. No one will support my efforts here to share Christ. Oh, here comes Philippi. Oh, here comes Philippi again. Philippi gave twice, at least, more than once. I say that's at least two, right? Two times they're stepping into a wealthy society and giving to Paul to help meet all of his needs. Watch what happens. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself. Here's what Paul's saying. It's not about the money. That's really not where any of this about giving and having the spiritual gift of giving is at. It's never about a dollar amount. Never. Look what he says. But I seek for the profit which increases to your account. What in the world does that mean? Somebody tell me. Say it loud. Eternal reward. I know that when you selflessly give, God is looking to pay you back when it's all over and done with. It may cost you something now. But the 10% that you're putting in there is going to come back a 1,000% in the end. Our God is a gracious giver. Well, can't somebody else give to that project? Yeah, but he called you to. He laid it on your heart. He put the need before you. He wants you to evaluate this and say, yes. It's about the death and resurrection of Christ. It's about calling people to believe in him. It's about promoting the Son of God. Why would we not want to be involved in that? Why would we not want to be involved in an active and legitimate ministry that is truly about the mission at hand of sharing the gospel? Why would you not? Well, nobody else did. But Paul turns around and says, because you did, and even more than once, you don't understand the blessing that's going to flood forward to you. Verse 18, but I've received everything in full and have an abundance. and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. Now, here's what's interesting. Look at this. They probably sent provisions. They probably sent money. Maybe peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I don't know, right? 
but they're supplying for him. And Paul's response is, I'm taken care of. And look what happens here. Why does he go into this weird language? He says, a fragrant aroma. This gift smells good. It's not cookies. It's not barbecue. When the spiritual gift of giving is exercised amongst the body of Christ, it gives off something. It's like well-planned incense. Now watch this. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable, what's the word? Sacrifice, and it's well-pleasing to God. Does everybody see priest language here? Now this is a reason why we went through a short little series about the believer priest or the priesthood of the believer. Because anytime that we're offering our spiritual gifts that we've been given, it's like bringing sacrifices before God. It's taking what He has blessed us with and apportioning it out so that we could be a blessing unto other people. Notice that Paul has no problem connecting those dots. When you gave this to me, I'm so well taken care of. And I know that it was like taking the fat of that ram and putting it on an altar. And when you set it on fire, this smoke comes up and the Lord says, this is a sweet-smelling aroma to my nostrils. That's kind of interesting to think, God in the Old Testament having nostrils up in heaven, smelling this as it comes up. And he says, yes, you've done it my way, and that is pleasing in my sight. It gives glory to God. Notice after that, verse 19, and my God, notice verse 17 was about eternal reward. Verse 19, this is about here and now being taken care of and blessing. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How oftentimes have you heard verse 19, but it was never associated with 15 through 18? Well, don't you know that my Lord will supply all your needs and riches in Christ Jesus? What is that connected to? The spiritual gift of liberally giving supplying for the needs of someone else as a sacrifice that obviously expected nothing in return because it was all well-pleasing to God. Self was removed so that God could be glorified in it. That's the idea. Now, take a small little segue because what this does is this brings to my mind the law of sowing and reaping that we find in the New Testament. I want to show you that real quick and then we'll finish up with one last passage. Turn with me back to the left to Galatians, just right before Ephesians. Galatians 6, sowing and reaping. So notice we have grace giving has been manifested within a church. We find that because the Philippians, when nobody else would, selflessly gave, that it's not just a pleasing sacrifice and aroma to the Lord. He loves that. But he's guaranteed to take care of them in the here and now, and also to reward them greatly in the time to come. This is sowing and reaping. But what you do with your Christian life matters. Look at chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, no deed escapes the Lord. He knows it all, right? I mean, we back up, and that's one of his basic attributes, is it not? What's that called? He's what? Omni? Omniscient. Omniscient. He knows it all. He knows every little thing. Nothing is done in secret. Nothing is done in hiding. 
So notice, God is not mocked for, here's the explanation, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. How many of you keep a garden? Some of you do. Raise your hands. It's not anything bad about that. Is gardening cool? I don't know. It's okay. You keep a garden. Do you have to invest yourself in that? Yeah. Why? Somebody talk to me. Why? Why? Weeds. That's a threat, right? If you have weeds that are growing up with it, is your is your harvest going to be that good? Is what you pull out of that going to be as well? No? Somebody else said another one. What was it? Good soil. You got to have good soil. Why? I mean, it's just dirt. Who cares? Right? That's somebody who's not a gardener right there. But why? What does it matter? It has to have the right nutrients in the, in the soil in order to make whatever you've planted grow to the best of its potential. So you've got to invest in that as well. Anybody ever had a garden for a while and you let it go for a year or so? What's it look like? Who did? Who's done that? What's it look like after that? It's what? It's a mess. What else? Weeds everywhere. Anybody have anything that you planted the year before prop up again here and there? How's that look? Are you eating that? No. You tried to feed it to the dog. The dog was like, hmm. The dog knows you didn't take care of that. You didn't tend to that. You didn't invest in that. And so what we're getting out of it is diminished quality, completely unuseful for anything. The law of sowing and reaping. If we sow well, we reap well. I mean, let's be honest. Isn't that the way we parent? Don't you invest and you seek the best for your kids and you want to you pour into them everything that you possibly can and love them in those times? Because why? You want to harvest. You want to see something good. You want to reap great benefit out of that. You want them to end up better than what we think that we've ended up in life. You desire good things for them. Sowing and reaping. Notice what he says here, verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh. Now stop. Is Paul writing to Christians or pagans? Which one? Christians. He's writing to believers. Is it possible for a believer to sow to his own flesh? Absolutely. Romans chapter 8 would back this up perfectly. For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, destruction, Decay, deterioration. This is a word that was used in the New Testament to characterize a miscarriage. That's what you get out of it. Pretty serious language, isn't it? Notice that. When you invest in your flesh, Christian, this is what you get out of this. But look where he moves to after that. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life and that doesn't mean you'll be assured that you're going to heaven when you die it means that eternal life from you for you is going to be abundant life you are going to get the fullness of blessings that come out of it but we have to make the conscious effort of setting aside the flesh and setting aside the self and setting aside me so that I get recognition. And don't you guys know that I am the one who wrote that check? And how come you guys didn't put a plaque on the wall to show that I'm the one who bought those blinds? No. Because that glory will only go so far. Wow, that was really great. And that's it. 
How much different is it when you're doing it with selfless motives, expecting nothing in return, no strings attached? And do you even realize that one day the Lord is going to go? I don't know about you, but that's the applause I want to go after. Is to see the smile on the face of Jesus being happy about the choice I made in light of his word to do that and to seek for self to be removed out. He says here, verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good because that's usually what happens. We do good and we don't get anything in return right now and we're not getting recognized like we ought to and I want the accolades for this. And we give up. Well, if somebody's not going to make much of me, I'm going to quit. Don't get weary in doing good. Look, for, here's the reason why, in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. In other words, when you persevere, your harvest is greater. Don't get weary. He says here, so then, while we have the opportunity, or as the opportunity comes to you, let us do what? Make that choice. So unto the Spirit. Let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith, especially your brothers and sisters. Let's finish here, Second Corinthians 8. Turn there quickly. See, my sermons would be shorter if you guys turn fast. <laughs> Nobody believes that. By the way, thank you for bearing with my voice. I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 8. Starting in verse 1. Now, brethren, saved or unsaved? Saved people, brothers and sisters in Christ. We wish to make known to you, now watch this, okay? This is really interesting. We wish to make known to you the grace of God, the gift of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Everybody remember that? We talked about it. Now, this is Corinth, right? Corinth was the church gone wild. They were on spring break all the time. Bad stuff, okay? I want, he wants to talk to them about Macedonia, north of Greece. He wants to talk to them about Thessalonica, Berea, and especially, and he's probably singling this out, just not saying it by name, Philippi, what Philippi did, okay? He wants to talk to this church, get this, he wants to unfold for these people in detail the giving of another body of Christ and what happened. What happened to don't let your right hand know what your left hand's giving? Well, yeah, that applies. But let's be honest, in order for a spiritual gift to be edifying, doesn't it have to be manifest? It does. See, what's interesting about Paul making this type of claim, notice that there's no whiff whatsoever of envy or jealousy that's there. He's wanting to share because he understands that when the exercise of the spiritual gift of giving has taken place, it's going to do something to ignite the body and to encourage the body to fall in line to also become obedient in light of spiritual blessings. So he says, I want to talk to you about the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, you know what that means? It means in their worldly situation they were getting persecuted. They're getting the snot kicked out of them for Christ. But look, it says here, their abundance of joy. Oh, that's not right. Is that right? When you're getting beat up and persecuted for Jesus, is there an abundance of joy? There should be. 
Notice that's only possible if it's spiritually wrought. That's where joy comes from, an abundance of joy. You know what that means? That means this much joy. That's what that means. So much I can barely carry. It's an abundance of joy. It's not just joy. It's joy. Sound like I'm in 13. Joy. It's lots of joy. Even though persecution is happening, they're able to reap joy in these churches. Why? Look what it says. Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed. You know what that tells you? The church in Philippi, those Christians, they had nothing. It tells you they were dirt poor. It tells you that they weren't anything to look at, something that the world would bypass. It's probably a worthless congregation. Well, why even bother? There's nobody affluential in here. Let's move on with it. This is a waste of time. No. They're getting persecuted because they're holding fast to the gospel. Remember, they were dying to, to participate. From the first day, they wanted to be involved in propagating the gospel through Paul's ministry. They don't have anything to show for it themselves, but yet they have joy that is overflowing. He says, and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their, here's our word again, liberality, their generosity that contains no self-serving motives. In other words, they had no dollars in cents, but they were spiritually on fire in order to help with the gospel. Tell us. Give us that newsletter. We want to know. Who did you share with? How did they respond? How did it go? Do you need some Bibles? Let's get the gospel out there so people get saved. Now watch how they did this. Verse 3, 4. Here's the explanation. I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. In other words, what they could afford, they gave. And what they couldn't afford, they gave. And nobody had to force them to give, tax them to give, fearmonger them to give, manipulate them to give. They said, how do we give? Well, you can only give that much. No! We got something else laying around here we can get rid of. Let's do that. Let's get rid of that. Cat starts getting scared. You know? Get rid of it all. Why? Because the gospel is worth it. Doesn't this bring to mind when Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Moths are going to eat it. Rust is going to get it. Thieves are going to take it. Instead, lay up treasure in heaven. Those things can't get it there. In other words, it's recognizing that in the here and now, Eternity is what matters. Now, what did this look like? Look what it says. They gave of their own accord, so they weren't coerced. They did it voluntarily. It says here, verse 4, look at this. Mark it. It's crazy. Begging us. Oh, Paul, please let me give to your ministry. Please let me give more. I don't think that's enough. I think missionaries would have a stroke today if somebody was begging to give to their ministry. I've talked to them. At the church I was at, we used to do something called Mustache for Missions in November. 
And what it was is we'd pick five guys. They had to shave from the nose down, okay? And they were only allowed to grow a mustache down to the corners of their mouth. That's it. Had to shave the rest of it. And they had to keep growing it until they raised $100 for this missionary each. And their wives could only give 20 bucks. My wife had to deal with that. That was great. You ain't seen nothing until you see me with just a mustache. It's scary. You wonder if I have any windows in my van. Anyway, scary, scary stuff, okay? But we ended up raising $500, five guys going for this, doing fundraising in this situation, having fun with it, but for a good cause. And when I called this guy and said, we got a check in the mail, this is what we did, we raised it for you. He wrote me back a, a card. I'll never forget when I got it. I still have it somewhere. Where were you in the 70s? Where was this type of thinking in the 70s? Because the most horrible thing for missionaries today, and I've talked to a lot of them, is when they have to make the poverty tour of the churches and kind of subject themselves out there of whether or not they're good enough merchandise for people to part with their hard-earned, God-blessed cash so that they can just afford to have napkins on their tables when people come over for ministry. That's not right. The people with the spiritual gift of giving, begging, can I please serve you? Can I please help you? Show me what you need and let's do it. I am blown away how this church responds to needs like that. Helping somebody remodel their kitchen so they can set it up for biblical counseling situations, incredible. Vitaly needed windows and doors before a certain date because snow was going to blow into his structure. Stepped up, no problem. Incredible. Incredible. I have no doubt that this church understands this subject probably much better than I could ever present it. But notice it's not about, well, out of my abundance, I can spare this much. Well, I've crunched the numbers and here's the percentage. Notice it is, Philippi has nothing and they're begging to give. That's got to be spiritually motivated. It doesn't happen any other way. That's crazy talk. Verse 4, begging us with much urging, as if you couldn't pump that up more, right? For the favor. Everybody see that word favor? It's the Greek word charis, grace. Grace, because it's all about grace giving. For the grace of participation, fellowship, in the support of the saints. They wanted to be there. They wanted to be invested. They wanted to be involved. Now, what? how do you get there? What's the key to that? Here it is, verse 5. And this, not as we had expected. How did it happen? But they first gave themselves to the Lord. Pay attention to that. How do you get in a mindset like that where you're begging to give spiritually? You're, you're spiritually motivated and begging to give to the material needs to help people in order to share the gospel. Number one, you give yourself to the Lord and to us, number two, by the will of God. In other words, you give yourself to the Lord, number one, and then you give yourself to the participation of his work through his people. That's how that happens. You get a God-sized vision of what that looks like. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for incredible examples in the Word of God of giving, of it obviously being spiritually motivated, of it obviously being grace-oriented. To think about that Philippi was in such poverty and they gave above and beyond their means because they so desperately wanted to be involved in seeing people come to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, how amazing that is. How refreshing that is. How incredible it is that Paul is displaying this before Corinth. That he was holding up Philippi as a model example of exercising this spiritual gift. Father, if you've laid that on our hearts because you've equipped us with that particular gift, let us do so without strings attached, desiring to remove self, but instead being subservient, submissive to your will so that the gospel is shared, so that it's spread. Jesus is worth it. He's so worth it. Father, please minister to our hearts, change our hearts, provoke our minds now in this time. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.